far. You know, I'm just so excited about it. I'm so excited that the Holy Spirit knows what we need as a church, and he leads us into his word to uncover the things and the direction that we need as a body. Two Sundays ago, um, Pastor Matt shared from Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and we're there again this morning. If you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 7 through 14 this morning, Ephesians 4, 7 through 14. I encourage you to take out a pad of paper or open up the note section on your phone, or if you have a tablet, to take notes this morning. There's a lot of doctrine and foundational things that we believe and profess as believers that are recorded here in Ephesians that are so important. So I have taken a lot of time, I've done a lot of research, and I've spent a lot of time just formulating my mind, trying to put on the, to paper to formulate these, these truths, these essentials in a concise manner. So I want you to catch them this morning. I want them to be communicated in a way that are understandable and relevant to your life. The first half of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, we learn who we are in Christ. We learn that we are sons and daughters of Christ. We've been adopted into Christ's family. In the second half of the book of Ephesians, chapters 4 through 6, we learn how we should live because of who we are in Christ. So that's where we're at right now. We're in that second half of the book of Ephesians. Learn how we should live because of who we are in Christ. As I mentioned two Sundays ago, Matt shared from Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, and the theme of his message was unity. I continued that theme last week as I shared some reflections upon everything that is happening in our nation and the deep division that is occurring in our culture. But Christ still calls the body to unity. I made a statement last week that a divided nation needs a united church. We had a beautiful display of that unity at the end of our service last week as we gathered together and prayed and, and just cried out to God and saying, God, we want to be unified. We're a diverse body. We have diverse gifts, but in our diversity, we find unity because you are the head of this church. The key verses um, from that section that Matt preached from was Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, and I want to read it to you this morning, and I want you to notice the Godhead as it's represented, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says here, there is one body and one spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Just as you, and Paul, remember, he was speaking to both Jews and Gentiles. And remember, Gentiles were outsiders and they've been included, brought in. So there is one body, one spirit, just as you, Jews and Gentiles, were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's what we are. We're one. The unity spoken of here in these two verses is exemplified, as I mentioned, in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, the Trinity, or 
if you break that apart, you have tri meaning three and unity. Triunity. They're three distinct. They all serve three distinct functions, but they are going in the same direction with one mission. Therefore, within the Trinity, you have unity and diversity at the same time. The diversity doesn't destroy the unity, and at the same time, the unity does not do away with the diversity that exists within the Trinity. And the church, the church, Big C, the church, this local body, this church in Madison is the image of this. The church is to find its unity in the Godhead. We as a unified community, common, again, community, common unity of believers should reflect the unity and diversity of the Trinity. Each of the three, again, are united in their purpose, but distinct in their function. And so through the Trinity, the church is given a pattern for unity and participation and mission. So we make this profession in unity with all believers everywhere, the Apostles' Creed, which is kind of a summary of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. And the Apostles' Creed, back in 390 AD, when it was penned, said this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, but on the third day he arose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge both the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Remember we've talked about in our unity. Unity does not mean uniformity, but it does mean that we are on a mission moving in the same direction. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct functions in the Godhead. But they all move together. I only do what the Father tells me to do, right? They have the same mission, the same direction. Unity does not mean uniformity, but it does mean that we are on a mission moving in the same direction. One faith, one God, one Son, one baptism, one Holy Spirit, one church. Recently, my daughter, Alyssa, um, one of her favorite pictures from this past fall, I believe they were out at one of the Apple Orchards in Baton, at Janet Valley, right, Acres? And her and Brian um, had a picture taken of them, enjoying the time there, and it was become one of their favorite pictures, and so she uploaded it to this site on the, um, on the internet and had it made into a 500-piece puzzle. And it recently came in the, in the mail, and last, last Sunday they got together at the dining room table, and they were working on this puzzle, and, and um, I could tell Brian was really into it, because he would, he would sit at the table, and then he would get up, and he would come in, and he would do this, like this, and wait, wait to me, and 
I'm like, hey, aren't you supposed to be back there doing that puzzle? And then you go, yeah, yeah, that's right. You run back there. We're going to have to get you some help. And Alyssa would be like, come on, Brian. We've got a puzzle to put together. And then I heard him say, man, this is hard. These pieces are all so small. They all look kind of alike, but they're different. And, and um, I heard him going back and forth. And then at the end of the night, I walked by the table and I saw on our dining room table, okay, this is where we eat as a family. On our dining room table versus partially assembled pieces of the puzzle that didn't really show anything, scattered all about the dining room table. And guess what? They're still like that right now on our table. <laughs> but as I was looking at that, I thought about that's what sometimes the church looks like. Church as a puzzle is a picture of what God wants to portray to the world, right? A picture of his purpose for the world. And you and I are like those puzzle pieces. We're supposed to be fitted together and connected. And, to, and as we're connected and as we're fitted together, we paint a picture of our, our purpose and our mission and whose God has uniquely gifted us to be. And this is a picture to our community. This is a picture to our city. This is a picture to all of us, right? The problem is there's only a few people sometimes that get out of the box and they get into the puzzle. And we connect a few over here and we connect a few over here. But we don't get everybody involved. And so we just have partially assembled puzzle pieces. And what's missing is the true picture of what God wants for the church. The puzzle doesn't come together to be what God intended it to be until each piece is connected where it's supposed to be. So this morning, I want to share with you why it is important for you, if you are a Christ follower, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to be serving in the body. Why it's important to get out of the box and get into the picture. And so I've entitled my message this morning, How God Grows and Matures the Church. If you're taking notes, the first point, Jesus gives spiritual gifts to every believer. Jesus gives spiritual gifts to every believer. Let's look at verse 7, and I want to unpack this verse. It says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. But grace talked a lot about grace. It's unmerited favor. It's supernatural enablement. Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. Grace is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. So Paul's saying, but grace, this unmerited favor was given to each one of us. Right off the bat in Ephesians chapter 1, we got to verse 5, and it says, He predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. This grace, this unmerited favor, this everything for nothing to those who deserve, that don't deserve anything, was given to each one of us as sons and daughters of Christ, according to the measure of Christ's gift. You would think, man, God gave his son. That's the ultimate gift. And yet he's 
even more generous and open-handed. He wants to give even more gifts to his church to fulfill his mission. So spiritual gifts are something every believer is given when they receive the gift of salvation. And just as the gift of salvation is by faith through grace, so are the spiritual gifts. They're by grace through faith. The Bible doesn't really talk about definitive groups of spiritual gifts in Scripture. There's probably around 58 or so spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament. I want to break them down into three categories that a lot of people have broken them down into. Ministry gifts being the one category that we're talking about this morning from Ephesians 4, 11. And then there's also motivational gifts from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. And then there's manifestation gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. And I'll give a description of each of those in a moment, but I want to read from 1 Corinthians 12, 4 first. It says, Now there are a variety of gifts with the same Spirit, and there are a variety of services with the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it is the same God. See the Trinity there? Unity? But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. Hear this, our spiritual gifts are not for us. They are not about us, they are about one another. And the purpose of these gifts is to be a blessing to everyone else and to build them up, not ourselves. Okay? I've seen this whole thing go sideways many times. People walk around and, and they put titles on people and what happens when you start doing that? Start comparing yourself to one another. Get excited about your gift until you see somebody operating their gift and you say, oh, my gift's not as great as their gift or there's comparison and we call this person apostle so-and-so, prophet so-and-so, pastor so-and-so. We're all, every member, listen this morning, every member is a minister in the kingdom of God. And these gifts are given as a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. It's not about you. It's about others. It's about serving his body. And so these ministry gifts in Ephesians 4.11 are individuals who have been given to the body, to the church, to the local church, to assist, encourage, exhort, and equip them for the works of ministry. The manifestation gifts in 1 Corinthians 12.7-3.11, they're listed there. Um, gifts like word of knowledge, discernment, faith. These are the manifestations of the Holy Spirit at a given time to bring life into a situation. Okay? Lisa and I are believing for a son. We've been trying. We've been going to fertility doctors. Lisa's talked to hers. I've talked to my urologist. We're going through this process. Our friends are getting pregnant. Um, our friends who didn't want to have kids are getting pregnant. And then... You've heard me share this testimony before on a Sunday night at our local church during a prayer meeting. Went back and sat with a, a, a new guest, a couple that was visiting that night. We were um, sitting with them and just wanting them to feel comfortable. We had never met them before. And before any words could come out of our mouth about what the evening was about, what we were going to be doing that evening in that prayer gathering, 
the woman bows her head and begins to pray and begins to give a word of knowledge, a prophetic word to Lisa and said, Lord, like Hannah prayed for a child, this woman has been crying out to you for a child. And she said, it's going to happen sooner than you think. That following week, Lisa took a pregnancy test and found out that she was pregnant with Josh. That's what I'm talking That's a manifestation gift. And if you are a spirit-filled believer this morning, if you got God's spirit living in you, you receive that gift of salvation. He can use you in that way. The motivational gifts, Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, talks about these gifts of motivation, of passion. It's gifts that God has given you. It's how you're wired. Maybe some of you are called to teach. Others of you are called to lead. Others of you are great at administration. All of these gifts are needed within the body. These are the puzzle pieces that when fitted together, not forced, not somebody saying, well, I've seen a prophet work, and so I want to be a prophet, even though that's not what God's calling me to be. It's not about being forced, forcing yourselves to fit. But when all the pieces fit together, I call it the right people in the right places for the right reason. When they all fit together and are connected, it paints this beautiful picture of a united church. Diverse in their giftings, but united in their purpose. United in their purpose. And God uses all these gifts in each of these three categories to minister to his church and to accomplish his work in the world. So if you're not serving, if you're still in the box, you're robbing that body, that local body, of the impact that it can have upon others. First Peter 2, 5 through 9. I just love this because when you look back at the Old Testament, you see how it was about the priests. You know, the priests would go away and they would get with God. They would get alone with God and God would download um, his heart or direction or mission to the priest and the priest would come back and share it with the people. But listen what 1 Peter 2, 5 and 9 says. Verse 5 says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. See, back then, if you wanted to connect with God, you had to go to the temple with God, right? But he's saying here, Peter's saying here that we belong to the spiritual house. Wherever the believers are, God is. God is here this morning, friends. As we gather together, God is there where you are um, right now in your home or wherever you're at watching virtually. God is there because you are there. He said, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a what? holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's not just these individual priests who walk in these offices as priests, but this is the body of believers now, the priesthood of all believers. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are all ministers to God's people and are responsible to make God known to our world, to our city, to our neighbors, to our family. And you know what else is exciting? God knew that you would be a part of this local body. 
For those who are watching right now, God, if you are not a member of Metro Believers Church, but you're a member of another body, God knew that you would be a part of that body. He knew what gifts would be needed for that local body to fulfill his purposes. God gave you the gifts you have because those are the gifts that this body and that community needs. God in his wisdom always gives the natural and supernatural gifts that are needed to fulfill his purposes. Therefore, it says, going on in Ephesians verse 8, chapter 4, Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the, the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now Paul here is quoting, paraphrasing portions of, of Psalm 68, 18 to explain kind of a, how Christ was able to give gifts to his people. Now this is, this is deep. And so I'm like, I wrestle like, how do I translate this to the body this morning? So the best way I can do that is just to read to you a portion of the commentary that I believe will do that. And hopefully you'll pick it up and then we'll summarize it at the end. The psalmist is giving a picture here of those days when the general would go out to battle. He would win a victory, and then on the way back into town, the commander in his chariot would be up front. Man, is he proud. He has won the victory. The people line the streets and are all shouting, Hallelujah! The victory has been won. Behind him, chained to the back of, the, of his chariot, are all the people that he has conquered, the generals and the leaders of the armies. Then behind them are all the spoils of war, the loot. As soon as he gets into town, he goes up to the holy mountain, and there on the holy mountain, the riches or spoils of war are given to him. He in turn disperses them to all the other people. So when Paul quotes 68, Psalm 68, 18, he is pointing to what it cost Christ for us to have our gifts. Jesus had to go to the cross. Jesus had to be resurrected from the grave. Jesus spent 40 days with people. Jesus had to ascend into heaven. And before his ascension, he said, I will send one who is greater than me, who will, what, baptize you so that you may have power to be my witnesses, right? And it is this one, the Holy Spirit, who will disperse the actual gifts to his church. And then he lists, Paul lists in verse 11, these ministry gifts. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, much controversy surrounds this list, these five ministry gifts. Some say that teacher and shepherd go together and they call it only four. I'm not going to debate that this morning. 
the controversy comes around what I had talked about just a minute ago where um, too much emphasis today is put upon the office instead of the function of these gifts. In other words, the question should not be whether such and such person bears the office and title of apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, but instead whether there are those that are functioning within these gifts within that local body. So the first one, the apostle. The word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, meaning a messenger or one who was sent on a mission. We see in the New Testament that there were 12 apostles that were with Christ to witness all the things. They were there at the beginning. They were once sent on a mission. They had the authority of the sender to establish the church. These were the original capital A apostles. So then there are those who say, is the gift of apostle, ministry gift of the apostles, still relevant for the church today? I would say there's a distinction. There's the original 12 that were used specifically that meet all the guidelines of the original apostles. And I believe that there's an apostolic function that still exists in the body today. The apostolical gift did not cease with the death of the original 12 disciple apostles. Those with this gift are sent from God to various countries, cultural groups, and problem areas. In a sense, you could say Jesse and Kristen are apostolic in their function. If God sent them to Thailand, then God sent them here to the, the people, the Thai people here on the university campus. This apostolic function, apostles are innovators, they're entrepreneurs, they're church extenders and planters, they're risk takers, and they guard the core truths of the church. They move on to take new territory or tasks on a consistent basis. They come in and they initiate, they start, they organize, and they move on. Then there's the role of the prophet. Others also say that the prophetic, the prophets, is that office, did that cease? We know about the Old Testament prophets who, who prophesied about the coming of Christ and the things to come. Again, I believe that the prophetic gift or function still exists and is needed today within the body of Christ. We need those who are functioning in the gift of discernment and the prophetic, they're foretellers, they're boldly speaking forth the mind of God, they have an ability to see that which is wrong and are willing to stand up for that which is right. They enjoy being alone, but, rather, but would rather be in a group than relate to people one-on-one. -on -one. one of the greatest challenges of the prophetic gift is keeping a spirit of love. They're to speak the truth in love, as Paul says in verse 15, and not be judgmental. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of their sins. If those who have this gift keep a tender, loving heart, they will be a blessing in the home, in the church, and in the broader community. We need the prophetic in our churches today. Those who weep and cry out to God over sin, who stand up for righteousness and proclaim truth. The evangelist, an evangelist is one announces good news. Those with the gift of 
evangelism are outgoing and personable. They compliment even strangers, and they're not afraid to ask them questions about their life with hopes that this opens the door for them to share the good news of the gospel with them. I remember, I remember we were downtown, we were on a food tour down there, and part of Madison Eats, and it was a group of us, and we had invited Danielle to come with us. And we were walking around, we were listening to um, this woman share about the downtown area and the history, and we went to some of the iconic local restaurants um, down on the Capitol Square. And we're walking along, and, I, and we looked, and Danielle is over talking to this man who was sitting kind of in, in an entryway to one of the restaurants. And next thing you know, she walked in to the restaurant. We're like, we were moving on, and they're like, um, where'd your friend go? We go to the next, and we want to make sure we leave her behind. Like, it's okay. I've seen her do this before. She's on a mission. And she purchased a meal and made sure that that guy was fed. She talked about him the whole evening and her care for him. She was operating an evangelistic gift. Seeing her do this with strangers, not afraid to ask others about their life, with hopes that the door would open that she could share the life of God with them. Evangelists enjoy seeing people come to Christ. Allison's another one in our body who functions in the evangelistic gift. Many times, over the summer, fall, and even currently going down to the capital, praying, reaching out to people, sharing the good news of the gospel. Those with this gift should be aware that Satan will try and attack your gift by causing you to see people um, as numbers or projects rather than people with needs. So guard yourself in that area. The next one is pastor, or as Paul says here, shepherds. And and we'll see why that is. The Greek word um, in Ephesians 4.11 is poimen, which means pastor. And although the word poimen is translated past, pastor only one time, it's used. 16 additional times in scriptures, it's translated as shepherd. Shepherd. Therefore, we're discussing here, Paul is discussing the ministry gift here of shepherding, not the office or position of pastor. Though a, a pastor should have the gift of shepherding, but everyone who has a gift of shepherding is not called to be a pastor. And my wife is a great shepherd. A great shepherd. Those with this gift have a spirit-given capacity and desire to serve God by overseeing, training, equipping, caring for the needs of a group of Christ followers. They are very patient. They're people-centered. They love people and are willing to spend time in prayer for others. A shepherd is usually dominant in one of the speaking gifts as well, evangelist, prophet, teacher, encourager. Those with this gift of shepherding should be aware of Satan's attack. He will cause discouragement when the load gets heavy and pride because those you watch over look up to you. You have to guard yourself from pride. You may develop family problems because of too little time and attention because you're always giving to others. The last one is teachers. Those with the gift of teaching have the spirit-given capacity and desire to serve God by making clear the truth of his word 
with accuracy. I always think of Dave when I think of teacher. I remember one time Matt shared with me and said, man, Dave is all he's inquisitive, he's a listener, he processes, but when he speaks, he doesn't waste a word. He's got a gift of teaching. They enjoy reading, they may be a little shy of strangers, they're creative and imaginative. They prefer teaching groups or other individuals. They are generally confident, self-disciplined, and sometimes technical. Sometimes teachers are so concerned with accuracy that they often dwell on the trivial or being so technical and deep that it goes over people's heads, right? Those with the teaching gifts should be careful that they're not critical of people who differ with their interpretation, especially when it comes to disputable matters, and that they don't measure other people's spirituality by their amount of Bible knowledge. They should also be willing to listen as well as talk. If you've never taken a spiritual gift assessment, there's nothing out there that is gonna be foolproof, but they're good resources. I want to give you one real quick. Gifts.churchgrowth.org. Gifts.churchgrowth.org. It's a free one. It'll help you guide, guide you. There's other spiritual gift tests that are free as well that you can find on the internet. Just be careful what source their background their doctrine comes from i want to also recommend a book about the ministry gifts the fivefold gifts and it's the book by one of my mentors bible college professors teachers dr carolyn Tennant. she also ministers and is a teacher at the theological seminary in springfield missouri and her book recently came out and it's called catch the wind of the spirit how the five ministry gifts can transform your church. She's probably a lead, one of the most leading voices in, in the sphere of influence um, of people that I believe are credible and that are leading by example in this area. And she wrote this, one part of her book, this, this quote, I'm going to read it to you. It says, the vast majority of teaching on this subject has focused on church leadership. Those offices filled by paid ministers, she writes. Then she goes on to say, but I'm firmly convinced, however, that God is focused upon the ministry currents that each person is supposed to oversee. He means for the whole church to get involved. And if you don't get anything that I'm saying this morning, I want this to resonate with you. We're all ministers here. Every one of you, if you receive the gift of salvation, the Bible says that you have been given at least one spiritual gift to use within the body. God has a picture, a plan, a purpose for this body, for this community, and you're a part of that. It's not about paid ministers or those who function in the office. This is about the priesthood of all believers. She shares in her book um, the five currents for a healthy church. I'm going to go through these real quick. And she says that when these currents are working together within a local body, a church is healthy and mature. The evangelism current. When this evangelism current is strong, we will constantly have people coming to Christ because the church is always sharing, loving, reaching out, and wooing others to come to Him. 
teaching current. When the teaching current is flowing, all new believers become disciples and followers of Jesus who learn to obey and hear his voice, growing and, and maturing and to be more like him. How many would like to see these first two currents flowing at Metro Believers? Third, the shepherding current. When this shepherding current is working properly, the church is healthy. It's being cared for. It's being protected and guarded. People are functioning together well as a body of believers and use the gifts of the Spirit on a regular basis. They prefer one another in love, giving space to others to be themselves and to take their place in the body of Christ to serve as God designs and instructs. The prophetic current. When the prophetic current is active, the church is secure and holy and is being directed by God and corrected as needed. It's receiving confirmation, encouragement, edification. God is given time to speak and reveal his plans in the midst of the business and that assembly. And then the apostolic current. When the apostolic or pioneering current is strong, the church is able to look outside of itself, to take back territory that Satan has previously held, to work in signs and wonders to establish God's might, to build connections and networks and maintain sound doctrine and purity within the body of Christ. Friends, we need each of these five currents, the apostolic current, the prophetic current, the shepherding current, the teaching current. Amen? And the evangelism current. You know, I forgot one. What are the purpose of these gifts? Real quick. Verse 12. Ephesians 4, verse 12. The purpose of these five gifts are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Again, it's not about you. It's about others. It's equipping one another, using your gift to help others. Right now, Caden is sitting in between Dave and Kristen, learning the sound. He's being equipped by them. Equipped for building up the body of Christ. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Until we all, what? When that puzzle's put together, right? The unity, that picture. The unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ's maturity. So the purpose of the gifts is to equip the saints to build up the body of Christ and maintain unity. In order that, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We don't want to be gullible. We don't want to fall for deception. We want to beware of false teachers. So we need all these gifts working together, this equipping, this building, this maturing, so that we not be like infants tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine that comes against the church. Right now, our NBC puzzle is about 75 to 100 pieces. Pretty easy, right? It's not 500 yet. Where do you fit in? Where can you use your gifts and talents? Where can you use your gifts and talents in this puzzle? I'm excited to see the picture that God's 
forming and putting together. Let's just not be scourged, you know, different pieces of, you know, partially assembled pieces scattered around. Let's connect together. Let's really do life together in this season of ministry and be all in. We're looking for everyone to get out of the puzzle box and get into the picture of what God's doing in the church. And it takes all of us together. Let's, let's stand and I want to have Jesse and Kristen come and lead us closing song this morning, then I'll come back and pray the benediction. Close. Um, I just think it would be imperative to um, Danielle just mentioned to me as well, and I agree with her that in talking about this subject, there's sometimes there's a lot of healing because of comparison, because of maybe you ministered and people didn't understand your gift and so they kind of tried to extinguish it. And so, in order to step out again, um, to trust God that this is a gift from God, takes freedom and courage and healing. So, let's, let's end this morning, if you feel comfortable, just praying together. Um, as I was thinking about, you know, the puzzle, there's, when you put a puzzle together, there's the corner pieces, there's the edges that helps kind of form the frame. And I believe that God has given us some of those individuals, those pieces, in the church. So find one of those people that you just, they've been in the church, you receive from them, they're life-giving, um, you feel comfortable and confident in, in going to them. And just link arms, and if, even if you don't have anything to say right away, just stand and listen to God and let God show you what he has designed you to pray out and to believe him for. And let's trust God for some healing this morning. It's going to be an ongoing thing as we develop this. We want to equip you with resources. I'm going to um, send out an email to the study guide that I referenced um, either tonight or tomorrow so that you can be working on this. I encourage you to, to reach out to Allie um, or Zach um, and be a part of that sermon-based group if you have opportunity on Tuesday night from 6.30 to 7.30 just to jump on because it's going to take, you know, just like I pointed out a few people and the shepherd in me is like, I want you to know that if I didn't call your name, that doesn't mean that I don't see gifts in you. So I just want to make sure um, that that has been stated. I see beautiful gifts. And if we could sit down in a circle, I think it would be so awesome and life-giving just to call out those things. So we're going to have opportunities after church, go out to lunch, sit, and talk about, encourage one another, affirm. Let's be life-giving as we welcome people in their gifts and acknowledge those gifts that are in our midst. Empower them, and let's not compare one another, but enjoy the diversity and our unity. Amen. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to give a formal benediction. I'm going to open it up for people to pray here at the end. So, Father, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that disperses these gifts. Lord, we thank you. Heavenly Father, for sending your Son, Jesus, to die upon the cross, to take our penalty, to take our sin. Lord. We thank you, Lord, that though you were buried, you put in the grave three days later, you resurrected, and that's our hope, our living hope. You're alive, you ascended back into heaven. You promised your Holy Spirit that you poured out upon your church, and now you're calling all of us to be ministers for your kingdom as we operate in the gifts that you've given us.
Lord, give us wisdom. Give us knowledge. Give us freedom. We rebuke the enemy and his lies. And we stand in the authority as adopted sons and daughters of Christ to go forward in our church, in our community, in this nation, in our world, proclaiming this good news in hopes that we see a harvest of souls, Lord, added to the kingdom. That's what we're all about.